Do you want your kids to thrive? Well, of course you do. I mean, what parent wouldn't want their kids to thrive? You want your kids to thrive in adolescence and you want them to thrive as they become adults. But what does that actually look like? I mean, sometimes I don't even know what that looks like as an adult to actually thrive. Well, on today's show, I have a special guest who is a mentor as well as one of my friends. Jody Mockaby is the author of The Whole and Healthy Family, and the premise behind her book is to help her help your kids thrive in mind, body, and spirit. We cover topics from knowing yourself and knowing your spouse so you can be better parents to teaching neurodiverse children and how to talk to your kids about sex. We cover all of it. So stay tuned for today's episode. Also, if you are new around here, make sure that you grab my daily reset checklist. This is a checklist that I live by every single day to help me reset my home so that I can stay on top of the clutter, stay on top of the mess, and have a better tomorrow. Again, go to habitsandhome.com and download your free checklist. All right, let's dive into today's show. And welcome to the Habits and Home Show. I'm your host, Lisa Lazat, and I help busy moms bring order to their homes by downsizing and decluttering and ditching old habits in exchange for systems that bring peace and more enjoyment to their lives. We have too much stuff, not enough space or time, and lack the motivation to get our life together. We need simplified solutions to tame the chaos around us and be available, both mind and body, to experience all the joy that life has to offer. Are you ready, friend? Let's get started. Hi, Jody, and welcome to the Habits and Home Show. I am so glad that you are here today to talk with me about homeschooling, about habits in your home, about your new book that you have coming out. So will you just introduce yourself, introduce your family and some hobbies that you enjoy and why you've decided to homeschool? Just give us a, what does it look to be, look like to be a Maccabee in your home? Wow. Okay. That's a challenge to answer <laughs> all of those. Let's see. First of all, thanks for having me, Lisa. And um, the name of your podcast alone just got me super excited to be on here because habits and home are two things that I um, love and am passionate about. So I'm super excited just to be with you and talk about some of those subjects. But um, my name is Jody Mockaby. I am a wife of, I've, I've had to answer this question a few times, so I should be pretty good at it by now. I think 18 years. <laughs> I'll have to double check. But Mother to five, and my children range from ages 16 down to 10. And at the very end, we had some identical twin boys, and they are just so much fun. So I have four boys and one girl, and we've got two teens in the household right now. And we recently moved to South Dakota from California, kind of left all of our friends and family and um, just everything we knew and loved to start something new and fresh. And we're really enjoying just kind of becoming a part of community here. And we love the outdoors. That was part of any move that we had considered making was just to make sure that it kind of fit our family culture of hiking, fishing, hunting, skiing, um, camping, backpacking. 
So we found a place and we absolutely love it. And yeah, we spend a lot of our time just outside and um, are just super passionate about kind of living a well-rounded life, which is really what my book is about is wholeness. And so um, healthy minds, healthy bodies, healthy spirits. And so we're super passionate about that and just spend a lot of time um, in prayer and with intention on making decisions on how to do that as a family. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah. Something that like I've always loved about your Instagram account is all the hikes that you went on. I live in Florida, so the, the land here is flat. <laughs> so living like vicariously through your posts and it really inspired me to take my kids on hikes around our home. I mean, we have, we have great places to hike, but it's just nothing like the, the Midwest or even California. And it's, it's just been so nice to follow your story. And, and I actually felt very inspired to get my kids out more by, you know, being able to see what you're doing with your kids and, and also with homeschooling and um, seeing how simplified your homeschooling seemed to be in your home. So I know that you've written some curriculum um, in the past, you have a book coming out, but you've also authored some curriculum to help families and to be a resource for families. I've actually used your notebooking strategy to teach my kids how to write from what they read. They love to read, but when it came to writing, they didn't really like it as much until we connected the two and they really enjoy that. And just breaking it down to where, you know, it's me writing and them copying for years and then weaning them off of that. It's been great. So can you tell us about um, your why behind writing those curriculum resources and um, how, like, you know, how have you seen it be a benefit in your own family, as well as the community that has bought from, bought those curriculum resources from you? Yeah, I think when we first started homeschooling, so I had actually pulled my boys out of school. So my oldest son attended school until the second grade and my second son attended kindergarten. And, um, I forgot to tell you, you know, why we homeschool, but that's actually covered in my book. So hopefully that will give people a reason to head over to the book. But when we started homeschooling, um, one thing that I noticed was I purchased all this beautiful curriculum. I spent a lot of time researching and spent a lot of time with mentors on trying to figure out what type of curriculum would fit our family. But of course I didn't really know because we hadn't homeschooled yet. So I spent a lot of money on curriculum. And within the first week, I watched my children just fill in the blanks on things. And I just sat there thinking, wow, they're really, really good at filling in these blanks, but do they actually know the information? Like, have they processed it? Do they understand it? Do they know the why behind why they're filling in these blanks? And so it made me kind of realize that it was a system and they had already been in the system and they were really good at the system, but that didn't necessarily show that they knew how to think or they knew how to process ideas. And then I started noticing there were these weaknesses in their narration. And so we would read aloud together And when I would ask them to tell me back what they had read, they had a really difficult time doing that to the point where I had to start bribing them. I would line up chocolate chips on the table and I'd kind of have to prompt a question 
to get them to kind of respond and think deeply about what, what happened first, you know? And so it was this challenge, this muscle that had not been exercised before in them. They were really strong at finding the answer, but they were really weak at being able to process information and be able to kind of retell it in their own words. And so I saw a really big disconnect there. So I actually, within that first week, got rid of all of the workbooks, all of the fill in the blanks. And from that point forward was kind of on a quest to figure out what would be the most efficient, um, effective schooling for these kids to where they, they, by the time they leave my home, that they're really critical thinkers, they're able to problem solve, they're able to be creative because I know filling in the blank doesn't ever really you know, allow for creativity. And so I really wanted to just exercise these muscles that typically in, in, you know, um, schools aren't exercised or they're written off as maybe you're not creative because you don't draw often or, you know, and so that was kind of the heart of it is just really wanting my kids to think and to be able to discuss ideas. And so that began. And with having younger kids, when we started, we, we discussed this earlier about how some kids don't love writing. The notebooking aspect came in because my first son really loved writing. He actually jumped on that whole program very quickly. But then my second son, there would be tears and tears over having to come up with one sentence. But he would sit and draw the most beautiful bird or owl. And I'm thinking it's the same, you know, finger muscles (laughs) (laughs) yet he's crying over one sentence, but he'll sit for two hours drawing a bird. And so it really made me realize that he's, he was kind of more inclined to the creative aspect. And so if I could marry the two, then perhaps I would get more writing from him. And so that's kind of how our notebooking method started was I wanted my oldest, more kind of academic prone kid to be more creative and have to kind of stretch himself to illustrate and and use a side of the brain that he didn't typically use as much. And then I needed my creative kid to, um, you know, stretch in the left brain side where he's thinking and writing. And so that's kind of where this developed was from two kids that are very different, but trying to stretch them both in different ways. And it really became an efficient tool in our homeschool. And the more we notebooked, the more I realized we didn't need grammar. We didn't need spelling. We didn't need writing programs. It all is all inclusive. And it became just the heart of our homeschooling. We really, um, learn all of our language arts through notebooking. And we have years and years of beautiful books filled with beautiful illustrations and writing. And we're able to just kind of review consistently what we had read. And it's just one of the most fulfilling things we've done in our homeschool. So. Oh, wow. Well, I wish we, we did it a different way. We used um, kind of like the primary uh, composition book and we, where they had the the space up top where they can draw the picture. And I, I actually started with just a Bible verse or a Bible story. And we started really little, like 
four or five years old and I would read a Bible story and have them tell me what happened in the Bible story. And I would write one verse from the Bible. And so that's when we started and it developed into where we would read books and follow your format. And I'm actually doing it with our homeschool co-op now that we just started this year. And um, I read a book to them and then I have them narrate to me and I use the term narrate. And I, I always ask them, I'm like, what does the word narrate mean? And they say retell. And I'm like, yes, just retell. And I felt like, cause I was a public school teacher. I felt like retelling in public school was frowned upon. It was as if it wasn't a higher order thinking skill and you had to use all of these compare and contrast you know, questions. And I was like, why can't we just teach them how to comprehend and retell what they heard? Because kids are struggling. (laughs) And so when I found you and this note, this idea of notebooking and, and narrating, and I know narrating comes more from a Charlotte Mason, you know, philosophy and way of educating. Um, I thought retelling and narrating is just enough. It's enough for now, you know, and it's been when we, we talked about simplifying our homeschool earlier and just doing that really took the pressure off of me for having these babies basically perform at such a young age. And it really helped them to develop at their own pace and in their own interest because they loved hearing me read. Um, right. And I think too, with the, with the narration aspect, if we look at any kind of early historical, um, academics or our, our forefathers or anyone that we would look to and say, wow, that was a really intelligent person. Their schooling consisted mostly of copy work, which in a way is a form of narration. I mean, it's not telling back in their own words, but they're copying the words of greater writers of, of, um, really brilliant people. And so essentially that's what our children are doing. Not only are they narrating and and figuring out how to comprehend and, and tell back in their own way, but they're copying the content of better writers, more sophisticated writers, people with bigger ideas. And that's kind of the beauty is it's not just the fact that they're able to comprehend and retell it's what they're comprehending. That is what we kind of lose focus on that has so much more value than again, filling in the blank, like you said, or comparing and contrasting. Um, And these are words that mean something. And so we have to remember too, what they're narrating. If we choose the right literature they are narrating big ideas and sophisticated language. And often I know with my kids, they'll copy the author's style of writing. And that's always so fun to see because they're depending on, you know, the book that we're reading and the style that the author writes in their narrations will mirror that. And that just tells me that they they're learning all different types of skills that can't be taught through a workbook. You know, it's, it's just through hearing good stories. So yeah, there is something to that. And anytime I feel insecure about our method, I always have to kind of open up the history books and see how Benjamin Franklin learned how to write. And it was through copying some of the great writers. So that's, good news for us. He was a brilliant man, you know, and that was his sole education was copying the words of 
writers before him. So absolutely. You learn sentence structure, you learn punctuation, you're, you're being exposed to it by actually doing it and also building up those skills. I mean, there's connections between your hand and your brain that's developing and it's just a really, really good skill. So speaking of books (laughs) and why I mainly had you come on the podcast today is to talk about your new book that is coming out September 13th. Um, Can you tell us your journey in writing this book and your mission behind it? Sure. The, I think the journey was really just my parenting journey in general. I love researching. I, I love problem solving. And so from the moment my firstborn came home and I couldn't figure out how to get him to sleep at night, that's when my, you know, journey of problem solving and research began where I, I really truly wanted to understand sleep patterns and, um, you know, what, how much sleep a baby needs and all the essentials. I, I wanted to know the why behind all of these things. And each time a problem arised from parenting, I would jump to not just books and research, but also prayer and guidance as well on just how to do this well. And so once I would get that information and apply it to the children in whatever it is through discipline or food or sleep training or um, through, you know, praying with them and, and parenting techniques and all of that. Once I would see a little bit of fruit from it, I would share about it on just my simple mom blog. It never became anything big, but I wanted to share this information because I know not all moms had the ability to spend hours researching scientific studies and, and reading books. And so I wanted to kind of just say, Hey, this is what I read. This is how we did it. And so it was years of parenting that way and, and figuring out solutions and, and working through things and sharing with it that I thought, man, I would really love to have a book myself of kind of, um, meeting the, the needs of a child mentally, physically, and spiritually somehow kind of teaching me how to create a family culture in that sense. And so that, that kind of was planted in my mind from a long time ago, but at the same time, I didn't want to write a book as I was going through it because that was extremely experimental and I wouldn't have any fruit to show for it aside from, I think this is working because it worked yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's been years in um, process because different agents have reached out and I have said, no, now is not the time. And I just kind of waited until I felt comfortable enough to create some sort of primer um, that our family used to, to kind of build their family culture, our family culture, and hopefully hoping that someone would learn something from it along the way and be able to kind of build their own family culture. I don't want them to model ours entirely because each family is different, but if they could find a thing here or there that would help bring wholeness to their family and peace and um, really create a, a beautiful learning environment and family culture, then that to me is a huge win. Mm-hmm. So I waited and delayed and waited some more. And finally the time was right. And I believe it was last year where I took three weeks and the kids just kept with their kind of, I set them up on independent mm-hmm. schooling and they, they cooked dinner every night. They, 
um, schooled themselves for three weeks and took care of everything. And I locked myself in my office and wrote the book. (laughs) Wow. Three weeks. Oh my goodness. That seems like overwhelming, but were, were you, I guess you just had to do it all at once. You just felt like, okay, I've got all of this in my head now. I'm getting, you know, a divine download from the Lord. You know, I just need to put it out there. Yeah. I kind I tried before that to do, you know, the whole, I know some people that carve two hours out of their day every day and get writing done or something like that. And for me, um, it took away the margin in our household, which it, it depends on personality, but for me, the margin is so necessary because depending on how the children are that day, they may need yeah. me. And so if I'm c- so strictly committed to these two hours, I'm taking away the, the two hours of margin that we have mm-hmm. that maybe we could go on a hike together or connect with one another or um, take them to, to visit a friend or something like that. And so it took that out and two hours, it requires a long time amount of time for those two hours to build up into a book because it takes a while to get into your writing, you know, um, rhythm. Yeah. I agree. So it was just, I tried it. It didn't work by the, by the time I was an hour in, then I would, you know, the idea would come back and I would try to pick up and then it was almost time for me to go take care of dinner or do something. And it, it was just very, um, I don't know. It, discombobulated really. So once I decided if I can just focus and be in it and the beauty is like the Lord was just so good because it was almost just like three days of devotionals with him really, (laughs) or three weeks. I'm sorry. I was just like in the word so much all throughout it. And, um, it was such a sweet time to write it. And so I hope that that is reflective in the book because it really was just like Jody and Jesus time. <laughs> well, so, I, very concentrated. Yeah. Well, I, I have already started reading um, through just being able to get early access to it. I'm already in the first two chapters and I can already get that sense of devotion in the book. You know, scripture is all throughout it in reference and it's just beautifully written. And I just love your vulnerability and the realness that you're sharing. Of course, you are respectful of your family's privacy and your children's privacy, but you share just enough to make, to help moms relate. And you talk about like the trenches of motherhood and um, learning about your children. No, And so part of it was in chapter one was knowing your children, knowing yourself, knowing your spouse. I love that. So can you talk a little bit about your, how you had to discover the differences and the the diversity of your children and their personalities and how that played into how you mothered them? Yeah, absolutely. First, I kind of want to say knowing your spouse was, is probably more important (laughs) Um, because husband comes first, but also for Jason and I, um, we were, you know, his parents are super passionate about marriage. They many times paid for us to go to different retreats and things like that because they were passionate about their kids having healthy marriages, which I absolutely just admire and appreciate about them. But we would leave each of these conferences just confused because 
the, they would use very stereotypical models of marriage. And we didn't fit within that stereotype, you know, where the men want respect and, and authority and kind of like, we need to respect and honor them and, and kind of be like gentle. And we would laugh because I am not gentle in spirit and, (laughs) and I want respect, (laughs) you know? So I would leave going like, no, I don't want to be cuddled. And, you know, all of this like sweet, sensitive time. I don't need that. Like go on a run with me. That's what yeah. will you know, fill my love tank or something or wrestle or let's go play volleyball or I want to beat you or, you know, like, <laughs> and so none of that was covered in any of these books or conferences. So we always were left so confused on how to build a healthy marriage if all of this input, all of this information is not who we are as Mm -hmm. people. And so I think it was kind of eye-opening for us to discover that we didn't have to follow, even though I know those marriage books and tools are very helpful for many people. They just weren't for us. What was the most helpful tool is actually understanding our own God-given like personalities. Mm -hmm. And so if I can understand his personality and if he could understand my personality, how God created us, then we can serve one another um, more efficiently. And I guess that translates also down to how you interact with your children and parent your children. And so just seeing Jason as an entirely different person of who I am and also an entirely different person of who this male category is in these books, I was able to kind of target my love and affection towards him and also understand why he reacted certain ways. You know, it wasn't, he didn't react certain ways just because he's a man. He reacts certain ways because he's Jason and who God made him. And so just understanding how God made him and why God made him that way and, and being able to work with that was so much more effective than just trying to follow this like love and respect model or this marriage model that I was always confused and perplexed over. So um, for us, the being able to be really targeted in the way that we know each other and serve each other was huge for our relationship. And then that just naturally translated to parenting our kids with that same type of outlook of understanding that they were born these people that God had already put certain things in their personalities from the moment they were conceived to know that they each are very different and have unique needs and personalities. And so they cannot be a one sized fits all. And even with my oldest, who um, is a little bit on the spectrum and and has some sensory processing issues that he deals with, I tried every type of parenting style and discipline style with him and nothing worked. And it was so frustrating because I couldn't find an answer, you know, and, and lonely too. And I know a lot of moms out there with neurodiverse children, it's so lonely um, because you can't you know, they call it a spectrum for a reason. There's such a spectrum that you can't necessarily find anyone that fully um, is similar to you in dealing with the, with the struggles that you're dealing with. And so it was a really, really hard time. And I, I finally learned that, okay, if I can know myself and how I react to some of his meltdowns and, and if I can understand what causes those meltdowns and trying to figure out the cause and effect of everything, that's probably more helpful than 
learning how to discipline him. And so that kind of started creating a really, um, I don't know, a different dynamic because I was able to notice behaviors in me, you know, where my, my blood would start boiling and my heart would start palpitating. And I was realizing, okay, I'm about to lose my control as a result of him. And he's already lost control as a result of the situation that we're in. So these are two things that I can be aware of (laughs) (laughs) and try to tame them versus just following some sort of discipline method or, you know, process. And so, yeah, just understanding each child's unique needs and communication styles and um, the the way that they give and receive love there. These are all wonderful tools to have a really efficient um, connection with them. And I, I know the word efficient is used mostly in like business processing and um, management, but honestly, we are managers of our home. And so if we can have a targeted approach, that's more efficient, that's going to benefit everybody. So you're not just shooting in the dark and trying to figure out things that mean nothing to other people, you know? Oh, I I feel like we could be sisters (laughs) because I, my husband and I are currently working through and walking through real, I mean, we've been married 17 years and we're still getting to know each other. And he recently just told me, Lisa, I just want you to be sweet to me. Like just sappy sweet. I'm like, (laughs) he's like, you're just direct. And I'm like, well, that's, I mean, it is what it is. You know, he's like, I know, but like, say it really, really sweet, like really sweet. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> it goes against everything within me. It goes against, I feel like I'm being like manipulative or like fake. And I'm like, okay, babe, I'm going to try. He's like, if you be just super sweet, just super sweet, everything will be just great. And I won't be moody. I won't be passive aggressive. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, we're working, working on that too. I would not say that we are by the book either, because I feel like I'm more of the gr- aggressive type and he's more of the sensitive type. And he has even struggled with that because he's like, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, and in a culture where, you know, we have all of that struggle with identity and all of that, he's like, what? I, I'm just, I just care. I just, right. You know, I just am sensitive to things and he's really struggled with that and identify, you know, identifying as that like male figure or whatever. And I, you know, it's been definitely something we've had to talk through and, you know, and I, on the other hand, have struggled with being the sweet and passive type that, you know, is depicted in marriage books or in Christian marriage books. And, you know, even in the Bible sometimes of how like being submissive, you know, and we're not going to get into all that detail, but yeah, there's this, we don't fit the mold. And so I'm right there with you and just knowing your spouse and really communicating, I feel like has helped us a lot and uh, allowing the other person to communicate. Um, And then you talked about your children and um, how like, the, the, the diversity in your children and how you tried for one child, every discipline strategy, I too. And I finally just got rid of all the books because I felt, I felt pressure. I was like, 
nothing, nothing's working. Not, nothing is working for this one child. And I feel like he too has a, um, you know, he's not able to understand. Um, he's not able to process information like my other two. And it really frustrates everybody. So we've really, it's been a journey of learning and um, really embracing. And I have to remind him, hey, I love you the way you are. I have to remind him. I have to remind myself I, as much as I get frustrated with him, I don't want to change you. I want to love the person that you are. So, um, so speaking of children, something that I've always admired about what you've shared on, on social media is your kids, when, especially when they're little, especially your boys, because I had boys, um, their, their ability to play and kind of like a wild play where they would make bows and arrows. And I think it's more of uh, your, your second child. He's more of the outdoorsy type. And I remember um, just watching them and wanting that for my kids, but I felt like they didn't have the example. Um, they were exposed to video games early on and probably our own doing and our own mistake. And that's probably something, probably the biggest regret that I have as a mom is allowing my children to be exposed to technology early. And I feel like they lost their ability to imagine early on. So how can you, can you speak to moms who don't have that example of like wild play or imaginative play and they're struggling with losing their child's imagination to our modern culture of technology and video games and, you know, recreational sports and organized sports and all that. It's not bad, but they're they're growing up and losing their imagination. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really hard topic. And I would say it's never too late. It's never too late to take away technology um, that even if you, you know, do kind of a cyclical, you know, we'll do three days on four days off type thing or something like that, where you give them the experience of being bored of having to kind of come up with those ideas, but it's also, you know, um, we have to be students of our children and, and kind of know who they are, just how we just discussed. And so to see that, to see different interests that they have. Um, it's kind of our job to partner with them to provide the resources that would spark those interests. And so video games are a one size fits all. Every child can play them. Um, it, it doesn't even have to be targeted as far as the content, as long as it, they provide some sort of adrenaline rush or, um, you know, response of winning or something like that mm -hmm. to, they have it down to an art as far as how it affects dopamine and different things like that. And so it is not a, a, um, targeted approach. It's a one size fits all approach. So as parents, if we can kind of partner with our kids and see, so like you mentioned, my second son is very outdoorsy and he loved all of the little house books, any kind of primitive book that I could give him he will just read through quickly. He's not a big reader, but if it is very focused on that primitive kind of pioneer lifestyle, he's read all the Louis L'Amour books and he will read um, because that lifestyle is really 
inspiring to him. So starting from a young age um, with boys, danger is something that they're drawn to. And I remember getting him his first little pocket knife. He was probably four. And, you know, for most people that would be too young, but for us, it was like, if I can help ignite this passion in him, he will do great things with this pocket knife. Now we have been to the ER twice for (laughs) stitches. He has two really gnarly scars as a result of whittling and using a pocket knife um, while cleaning a fish, but he uses this pocket knife all the time that his, that those early years have, of play have translated um, to him working outside. He loves farming. He loves ranching. And so he's held a job since he was 10 years old being a ranch hand, which I just think is so incredible. And so that play translates to, you know, a lifestyle of work ethic. And so that's a good thing. Um, with my oldest, he was less into knives, but he was actually very, he, I actually am grieving now because he's not home as much due to work and college classes and different things like that. But he was the leader in our household. So if we read a story, he would be the one that would kind of say, let's make this, or let's do this, or let's look at a YouTube video on how to create, you know, paper airplanes and test their velocity. He was super curious. He has that that spark of wanting to learn. And so to be honest, I thought it was me for a few years that I was like this amazing homeschool mom. And then once he started branching out and leaving our household for, you know, work and sports and classes, I realized, oh my gosh, it was him. (laughs) So he's the one that really, you know, inspired them, but I will, I can give you a few tools of kind of what I did. If I could tell that they were in a lull, um, I would go outside and just like start a fire. I, I wouldn't tell them, Hey, I'm going to go make a fire. You know, it's like two o'clock we're done with our school day. Um, I I'm not quite making dinner yet or anything like that. And I could see that they're bored or they're starting to argue with one another or something. So I would just go outside and start building a fire. And of course they're just like there in a second and they're adding to it and they're sitting around and one kid is like, mom, can I boil some water on the fire? Absolutely. You know, and within 10 minutes, they're all actively participating in that. And then I just kind of slip away and they take on the whole, they just bring it to a whole new level and create a campsite and different things like that. And so that's just one small thing that we can do is if you see the boredom, if you see that there's a lack of play or creativity, I mean, if you don't have the creativity yourself, like I would just like Google, you know, what are five fun outdoor things to do and try to find something to just start. Don't tell them about it. Cause of course, then it's like a trap you know, just act as if you're interested in it and they'll just join you. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that with I'll start a tree fort or I'll start a project. I'll, um, even with drawing, I somehow managed to get all five kids to draw one of the homes that we had lived in. This is just a few weeks ago because I really wanted to frame, um, all of the different homes that we lived in, a, a, an illustration of them. And so I just started drawing one, but I don't have the time to draw, you know, four different houses. And so as I started drawing one, they start gathering, what are you doing, mom? You know, oh, I'm drawing a house because I want to frame 
you know, this house for this project I'm doing on this wall or whatever. And within minutes, they're bringing out the pencils and the rulers and they're all sitting around me. So kids want to be involved in what you're doing. They, they would prefer that over video games, but because of the science of video games, that is going to woo them in every time, unless you are like an active part of play. And that does not mean that you need to play with them. It just means that you need to kind of, you know, light that spark that starts it and they'll take off with that. So even with board games, I detest board games. I get bored. (laughs) And so, but we have many, many board games. And if I can, you know, see that there's some boredom or they start bickering and I don't have any great ideas for outdoors or whatever. I'll just start laying out a board game and reading the rules, you know, playing dumb or something like that. And within minutes, they're all over wanting to participate in this board game. And about 10 minutes in, I'll be like, okay, guys, I got to go start dinner. Who wants to take my spot? Or I'll have a kid kind of partner with me so then I can leave and they can take over my spot. And so it is, it's like, we've got to set the example for what that looks like. And if we can set the example, then you kind of work yourself out of that position of actually having to be active in the play every single time. But there's also other things. I love playing soccer with my kids. I love playing volleyball with them. And so there are things that I'll actually stick in and play with the whole time with them. But for the most part, for those pictures that you have seen of them outdoors doing, you know, these creative things. I would say it's 50, 50, half of the time they do it as a result of a book that we have read that really sparked some interest. And then half of the time is the result of me kind of setting the scene for them. And then they kind of fall into that. So I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. And that was very helpful. And it, it, it it was a very different answer than I thought I was going to get because I, I, we do, we, they, we do have to like set the example. I felt like for me growing up, my parents didn't play with me and I, but we also didn't have that lull or that, that draw of technology. We didn't have it. It was like, this is all we have. And so I feel like we were born with imaginations, but now we're really having to battle against the, the science, like you said, of technology and the addiction that comes with that and really show. And I know for me, it's like practicing what you preach, put your phone down, get off, get off of the technology yourself and actually go out and do these things. And so, like you said, I love soccer with my kids and baseball and we love the evening times of playing. And, um, but I, I love the ideas, the like good ideas that you said, like start a fire. I mean, my kids, I can imagine them just getting out there um, and being just loving that and then letting them, I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all set up camp or something. And, um, and it gave me the idea of like getting out there and actually going camping, like real tent camping. We live in Florida, so it's super hot and we can only camp from like October to, to April. Um, so I'm looking forward to that time because we, we mentioned something like, what are our plans? What are something that we want to do? within the next year. And my husband, he actually brought it up and I'm glad that he did that. He wants to go camping. And I'm like, yes, yes. I want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's good. And depending on the ages of their, of your kids, I mean, they can set up camp for you. 
And that's all educational following instructions for setting up tents and different things like that. And there's a lot of fulfillment in that. In fact, I'm trying to remember what it was exactly. Oh, it was a paddleboard. The other day we went paddleboarding and usually my oldest two boys are the ones that inflate the paddleboards and read all the instructions. I had never done it before. (laughs) And we go paddleboarding a lot. But my oldest was gone and the second boy took off fishing with one of the twins. And so I was kind of stuck inflating these paddle boards and I did it wrong. I did, I didn't twist the inflator inflator to kind of lock. And so they would deflate every time I went to put the lid on, you know? And so my second son runs over and he's like, didn't you twist the thing? And, you know, it was this whole conversation. And I looked at him and I said, no, cause you guys are in charge of this. <laughs> so. I- I do play dumb. I do that too. I'm like, mama didn't know how to do this. And they're like, what? And they'll hop in and, and take over. So yeah, I think like, like just that idea of, of not, not being so efficient at everything and allowing them to rise up and do it. Um, my kids have definitely, definitely, um, stepped up to the plate when it comes to things like that. So one more topic that I want to make sure that we cover, because it's something that is important to me personally, not necessarily to my husband, because (laughs) he, and it's talking, I'm talking about a healthy sexual culture in your home and teaching our kids about, you know, the teaching them using the names of body parts and um, the scientific names. And also just, I don't want to say normalizing sex because I don't, the way that adults think about sex is very different than the way kids do. And you mentioned that in your book. Um, but can you just talk about how your family, and I know you cover a lot of in your book. So hopefully this will, you know, a lot of moms are like, how do I talk to my kids about sex? How do we create this healthy culture? So maybe they'll want to grab your book to definitely dive into that, that, Uh, chapter, but talk about that, creating that healthy sexual culture in your family. Yeah, I think, I mean, that our goal always was to have healthy kids that were open and discussed things, but it really sparked from a conversation with a family member who had been exposed to pornography when he was really young. And he, um, it was extremely traumatic for him and he never shared about it. And he just kind of closed it off in his mind. And, you know, there's science now that kind of supports if, if early access to porn or abuse happens to children and it's never recognized in the early years, it actually changes the chemistry of their brain. And so when they go into puberty, um, the, the chemistry of their brain is off. It's, it causes all different changes in their brain. And so honestly, not to get into this subject too much, but I think a lot of the gender confusion and different things that kids are dealing with now are a result of their brain's chemistry being altered because of technology. Um, So many kids have had access to pornography at way too early of an age, and they haven't had parents alongside of them teaching them, you know, how to recognize it, what it is and why it's bad for them. And so you have a lot of like chemical changes happening in the brain that are all ignited when they go through puberty. And so that's why you start seeing these, you know, responses of kids not knowing who they are gender wise or what they prefer sexually or any of that. And I think we can blame it on 
society and agendas and different things like that. But I think the deeper root is actually early exposure to porn, um, sexual abuse, um, subjects that we are very uncomfortable talking about in church and in our home. And I think if we can change that in our homes, then things will change drastically in society as well. And so um, being exposed to that story and learning about it, of course, my response was to jump into research to try to understand why does access to porn change somebody? Why does it cause them to be suicidal? Why does it cause depression? Why does it cause gender confusion? You know, all these things. And it was, it's truly scientific. And the reality is our children are not designed. Their brains are not designed to be able to um, see pictures like that early on. And I think the national average right now is eight years old that a child will be exposed to porn. And the heartbreaking thing about that is that's the average. So you're taking in much younger ages in that, that kind of balance that year of eight. And, um, these kids don't know about sex by the age of eight. I mean, the average family, I would say does not teach their child about sex before the age of eight. So if they're exposed to porn before sex, their brain is creating this understanding of sex in their mind. That is also a perverted version of sex. So immediately they are being deceived and they are getting a perverted version of sex. So you wonder why marriages struggle with, you know, sex and different things like that is because it's just this web of shame and deceit and confusion. And there's just not a healthy model out there being modeled in our household. So my, my um, small little part on creating a healthy sexual culture is just starting those conversations as early as possible. And it's not just for the sake of, um, you know, preventing them from porn. It's also preventing them from abuse. If they are comfortable saying no, if they know that their body parts are for them only and that their private areas and their body that shouldn't be touched and they have the confidence to say no, um, statistically that's proven to prevent them from abuse um, in huge ways. I, I think it's 90% of perpetrators, if a child says no, they will, they will stop their, um, their, the abuse process. So that is huge. If we can empower our kids to say no, the problem is a lot of our kids don't know how to, because they haven't been taught to because parents are uncomfortable with that subject. And so we have to kind of get tough and get over our fears of using, you know, anatomically correct terms and get over the fear of talking about sex and exposing them to an idea that they might not be ready for, for the sake of protecting our children. And so we start, there's no sex talk in our family. We just start from an early age. Um, anytime, you know, even if it's dogs humping, we'll just say they're, they're trying to have sex with each other, you know, and the kid might not fully understand the act of intercourse, but nature is the best teacher. They're, they're able to see like, okay, then what's the result of sex? Oh, well, a lot of times someone can get pregnant or the dog gets pregnant. That's nature's way of trying to reproduce. And so it's just a natural conversation. If you start from a young age, there's no taboo part of it. It's just a natural conversation that can happen. And it's extremely preventative for them because 
if they have awareness of what sex is before they're exposed to say pornography, the chemistry of the brain actually does not change because they have that foundation and, and understanding. So the goal is to beat them to seeing this porn. And the reality is children will see it no matter how protective you are with devices and your home, all their friends have devices, family members have devices, so they will be exposed to it. But if you can teach them what God's design for sex is, what the beauty of sex is, what the purpose of sex is without being super sexual, because they don't, they're not looking for a sexualized version of what sex is. It's just a scientific definition or a biblical definition. So if you can provide that for them and then explain to them what pornography is, it's the opposite of God's design. It's a perverted view of sex. You know, if you can kind of explain to them, that helps them understand, I don't want to see this because it will change my brain. It will, it will, it has addictive qualities to it. There are things that um, I need to protect myself against. And so there are just tools that we can be giving to them just through conversation that will protect them from these long-term effects that pornography causes and also just the shame built around sex in general, which a lot of churches still kind of carry within them. Absolutely. And I mentioned earlier before we started recording that I had my own trauma exposure and experience around sex because I was five years old when I was exposed to pornography because I had older brothers and we were left home by ourselves. They invited friends over, you know, my dad just, that was part of like his, his, like, I don't know, I don't want to say culture, but like, it was just very perverted. And I thankfully have been redeemed from that culture and I've been able to redeem my own family. And so I've had a lot of trauma that I've had to overcome as a woman, as a teenager. Um, and like you said, the church doesn't know how to talk about these things. Um, I grew up in the, the generation of the true love weights and the don't do, don't do, don't do. So then when I became, when I got married, it was now I have to flip that switch of don't do, don't do, don't do. And now it's okay. And how am I as a woman exposed to supposed to enjoy this when I've been told to cover myself and you are temptation and it, it should, it just hasn't been you know, like you're saying this healthy sex culture and this healthy view of sex. And I, because of the trauma I experienced, I wanted to create different for my kids. So my daughter's 13 and probably at the age of like 18 months or two years old, we were sitting in the bathtub. And when I'm telling her, I, I tell her what her body parts are called and we call it by its name, its scientific name. And I tell her, then we practice, I say, what do we do if somebody asks to see it or if they ask to touch it? Or And, and I, I said, let's practice screaming. No. And I walked her at, walked through her. And then as she developed, we would have more and more conversations. What do you know? What do you notice that's different about mommy and you? And she would actually tell me. And so, you know, things progressed. And, oh, I wanted to mention in your book, you say the law of first mention. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. My daughter was exposed to a word before we were able to share what sex was. And I was very, I grieved because I wanted to be the one to first tell her because I knew that that bond would be 
solidified that we would be the one to, that she would talk about that with. And so, um, she, you know, we, and it's like, I, I wasn't, or she was eight years old. It's like, I wasn't early enough. And so how you talk about, you know, starting really young and kind of normalizing these terms in your family, start really young because she was eight. And this was between a homeschool, another homeschooling child. And she said a word and I'm like, I don't want there to be any mystery or any right. confusion. So we're right. just going to lay it out. And we're going to say it. So, um, I have been the one. So what do you say to, and I know you said earlier about knowing your spouse and, um, what, what do you do when one is more of like straightforward, let's talk about this. And the other one is more reserved, like my husband is, and he doesn't necessarily make, you know, he's not very intentional about being first to mention. Yeah. And it's a good question. And I think a lot of that too comes from motivation or, or comfortability and how we were raised personally, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was raised in a very open home. And so for me, sex was always discussed so much so that, um, I have been in many awkward situations because I'll make sex jokes and nobody laughs and it's like, <laughs> okay, that's proud. I'm um, like that too. <laughs> yes. So I don't know if it's personality mixed with, you know, how I was raised that I feel comfortable naturally talking about it, where my husband was in a much more private household. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't discuss sex. You know, he learned from his friends about it and like a lot of kids. And so he still is not as comfortable as I am, but he has grown exponentially in that just, especially now having teens where there's so many jokes and Mm -hmm you know, um, we will tell the kids because now we're at the age where they'll kind of stay up later than we will. And we'll be like, don't come into our bedroom unless you want to see stuff, you know, <laughs> so yeah. they're like, Oh gosh, you know? And so they, they're well aware yeah. that their parents have a sex life and we don't get too crazy about it, but there's a lot of joking and fun al- alongside of that. And he's gotten much better at Mm -hmm. it and much more comfortable, but he is definitely still more reserved. Mm -hmm. But I would say for the most part, we are the homemakers. We are the, if you're an educator, a home educator, you're the home educator. And I would treat, you know, sex just like any other subject. It's important to talk about. It's important to teach. It doesn't necessarily have to be the dad's role. Um, hopefully he'll come alongside of you and support everything you're teaching your kids. But as long as they're getting some sort of exposure to the truth and God's design, then that's better than nothing. And, um, I know with our boys, you know, this was really hard, but I had to ask my husband, you know, they were probably 12 and 10 at the time. And I just said, Hey, that time is coming where masturbation is going to be something that they need to know how to navigate. So you're going to need to talk to them because I I feel like it would be wrong. If I talked to them, you're the man of the household. You know, he was super uncomfortable with that charge, but he did it. And I'm just so grateful it, he didn't do it excitedly. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those hard marital times where it was something where it was like, Hey, if you don't do this, I will. And you and I both know it's more important coming from you, you know? And so that was a hard marital 
conversation because he wasn't comfortable with it. He, he, he likes to be very prepared. And so he wanted all the information he could possibly get, but like the time was crucial. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of just had to like, kind of push our way through that. And, um, it was a hard, hard conversation between the two of us until it happened because there was tension built around it. But in the end, he knew he should be the one to do that. And so, um, in the end it all worked out, but it, it doesn't mean it was some like beautiful situation where I'm like, dear, it's time to talk about masturbation. And he's like, you're right. It's my favorite subject. Let me go do that. You know, it yeah. was, he felt pushed and uncomfortable and I didn't want to push him. I wanted him to do it naturally. And that, that wasn't going to happen. And so that was a hard marital situation to walk through. So right. that might not be the right answer. That's just our personal answer yeah. on that. Well, I mean, I have been, like you've said, the homemaker, the home educator, the caretaker of my, the family, when my husband's not here and questions come up and I don't say, Oh, let's wait for dad to get home. No, I just, if they ask a question, I just answer it. Matter of fact, I mean, when I had the, the sex talk or like when my kids actually connected the dots with sex, we were in the car and I had just dropped off my daughter and my, he was probably like seven at the time. He just asked the question and it, I just answered it. And he said, but then how does this? And I'm like, well, I just answered the question. Well, it, it, now, I mean, yeah, it's like a shock at first, the shock wears off and now we make jokes. I mean, they're still little, but we make little jokes. And if my husband and I are hugging each other, they're like, Oh, get a room, you know, <laughs> yes. Dif- different yes. things like that. But um, I think it's like important to know too, kind of how you didn't refrain from sharing. You didn't wait until your husband came home. And um, a, a lot of times with situations like that, if you freeze and you're not able to keep it organic and low key and casual, and um, th- there can be shame involved yeah. in that too, because you're saying I'm super uncomfortable with this. So you should be too. And so that is an important lesson for all of us to know is just the the longer you delay something out of being uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. um, the more shame will be attached to it, to your, with your child. So yeah, it's super. And it's funny. We have a very similar story with our twins of it happening in the car and, you know, they've heard the word sex from the time they were two or something just because of natural conversation, but the actual like developmental cognitive understanding of intercourse didn't happen until they were about seven or eight. And it was in the car when one of them just out of the blue was like, so I, I know sex makes babies, but like, how does that action, like, what is the physical action of sex, you know? And I had to walk them through intercourse and one of them used hand motions showing it. And I was dying. I mean, I'm laughing. I'm yes, that's it. You're right. Like, that's so weird. But the good news is since we are the ones that are there all the time, use dinner time is a time to bring dad right back into the conversation. And so I remember after that situation in the car that evening, I asked Elias, Elias, show dad what you figured out about sex tonight. And he used (laughs) his hand motions and Jason was of course shocked, but laughed and we all laughed it off. And 
So oh. it is It's like bring dad back into right. it. It's, it's healthy for dad to be a part of those conversations. Even if he's uncomfortable, he needs to be around for those right. to realize what a healthy um, culture looks like. Even if you're kind of the one leading it, I right. eventually he'll realize this is good yes. for our family. So, yes. um, so that's kind of what we have had to do. And thankfully Jason knows that I research a ton. And so a lot of times he'll just rely on my information and he'll just be like, tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know? And right. so, and I think in a way that's good that the men are providing for the most part. And so they need to be solely focused on that. And then we can fill them in behind closed doors on right. where we need them as a parent and a mentor for their kids. But we know our kids more than they do because right. we're with them all day long. Right. We're there for all of those conversations. And that is unhealthy for us to put those expectations on our husbands to know the pulse of the family or try to understand what's going on during the day because we're there. So bring, when he comes home, go into your bedroom, fill him in. I think now is the time that they're ready to hear from you. And, you know, that's kind of our job is to, to kind of fill them in and encourage right. them in their role. And they don't have to carry that burden all on their own. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, my, my son, my, my middle one, not the one that asked the question, but my middle one, he was, he cried the moment that he found out. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, if I have to do that to have kids, I never want to have kids. And I'm like, you will one day, buddy. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, and, and he, and they still, they, you know, cause I, it's different having not just one boy, but having multiple boys, how they talk and how they, you know, and my daughter, she's like, I don't understand. Why are they talking about this stuff? She's <laughs> the oldest one. And, um, they're like, I'm never going to do that. I'm like, one day you will want to. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just, you know, keeping it light, keeping it to where it's not taboo, um, is what we've been trying to do in our family as well. Okay. So let's wrap it all up. And any final thoughts about, you know, your mission behind the book and, um, you know, what you think families are going to get out of it, um, that you would like to share. Um, I, I would just encourage you to get the book and read through it and hope that there's a few things here and there that will just help your journey of parenting. And it, a lot of your listeners I'm assuming are looking for peace and order in their yes. home. And there's a lot of tools in there to help give them ideas on how to maintain that and um, how to problem solve some habits to put in place so that the house is more peaceful and that the family operates efficiently and lovingly and, and that they're led by the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I would just encourage you to read through it. And um, I am available online, you know, during different hours, I try to make myself available to respond to, um, you know, direct messages and different things like that, because I, I really am passionate about healthy families and want to help in any way I can. All I have is our own personal experience to work from, but, um, with our own personal experience was a lot of prayer and a lot of research. And so I just want to be kind of an encourager to mamas and help give new ideas and, um, help strategize to raise healthy and whole families. Awesome. So where can listeners get your book and where can they find you on social media? So you can get your book, the book anywhere online. Um, Amazon, of course, is a preferred for publishers simply because you can leave a review, which 
helps generate more sales when there's more reviews. Um, you can find me on jodymockabee.com. You can find a lot of our um, resources that we've created for homeschooling there. And those have all been tried and true resources that we have used personally and continue to use. And then you can also find me on Jody Maccabee on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jody, for sharing your heart, for taking the time to encourage us um, and being vulnerable and bringing to light um, some of those difficult topics that moms and families are navigating and they there's not necessarily a right way, but you've given an alternative way that we may not have thought of. So thank you so much for being a mentor um, and just sharing your experiences with your own family. So thank you so, so much. You're welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. I could talk to Jody for hours and we actually talked about 30 minutes after we ended that interview, ended the recording. So she is just an amazing person, so down to earth. I know you are gonna love her book. I am already halfway through it, so make sure you head on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to shop for books and get your hands on her book. Again, that's The Whole and Healthy Family by Jody Maccabee, helping your kids thrive in mind, body, and spirit. All right, I'll see you next week, right here on the Habits & Home Show.